Well, I don't need to give an introduction to the details. We really appreciate you guys and your work at the, at the mission out there. And we're very, very honored to have you and to be associated with us. I mean that sincerely. So just come up. Look forward to it. Well, it's good to be with this church family again. We always always enjoy our time together. Uh, typically, not quite so nervous coming to this crowd, but also uh, on one hand and on the other hand, well, it's not like I can preach and disappear. You know, you, you guys know where I live. <laughs> Most of you know that. You know, I grew up on the mission field in Africa, and then Barb and I had the privilege of serving there 20 years, and Lord willing, if he, it looks like he's going to allow us to go back in the not-too-distant future, and while we still have a little gas in the tank, continue working there, and hopefully I'll have a, a chance to say a minute about the work there. It's been a challenging last, uh, since we left there, we left a, a Church with uh, very shortly after left, leaving a church, uh, a baby church without a pastor, without a missionary. Uh, the believers there, a small group of believers, about 30 of them, 40 of them said, Well, we can be faithful to what we do now. And um, shortly after that, a, a wolf came into the church. He'd been there, never been in, he was disqualified from leadership permanently, but he was made the pastor of the church. And, uh, the men said, well, uh, and the women, well, we can be faithful to Christ. If we have to start over again in a home, we'll do that. Uh, but when there was obvious gross heresy, the men after the service would say, no, this is what God's word says. And they kept um, meeting together, studying the word of God every day, praying together. And uh, about uh, last month, uh, we, we talked to the believers there pretty much every other week or so. Um, one of our men called and said, Jim, the, the man who's been hurting the church has gotten tired of being confronted with scripture and he's now pastoring a cult in the, in the community nearby. And so the men are taking turns preaching and the church is growing. And they said, we have a bunch of our neighbors who have, through all, watching all of this, have decided that the gospel is true. Amen. The, the, the God of the Bible is the true God, and, Amen. and they've come to Christ, and we're, we're teaching them, and when can you come out for a baptism? They want to publicly identify with Christ in his church. So Christ continues to build his church in spite of everything raised up against it. I have a bit of a different message this morning. Uh, you know, I don't have time. I don't have the opportunity to walk with you through the scriptures like I do in my home church there in Robbinsville. But uh, so I want to step back and kind of look at uh, some big picture things again. And this morning, um, I'll be in Revelation. Um, and it, as I start out in the introduction, don't be too concerned. It's going to sound like I want to go through the whole book. And I'm not going to try to do that this morning. But I want to try to introduce a couple of verses that I do want to look at in a little more detail. But growing up in Africa, um, I had a front row seat to the breakdown of civilization in three countries. And the first one of those, I was too young to know what was going on, was the Congo uh, in the uh, 1960. 
when the priests of the Mu country descended into chaos, my family was evacuated uh, with UN troops. Um, I did my part. Um, all the bolts out of the hunting rifles went into the bottom of my dirty diaper bag, uh, and it kept the rebels from falling through that and finding those. Uh, but really was too young to, to, to really know what was going on there. But then the next one was the country of, of Tanzania. It had probably the most benevolent socialist leader. But um, the society uh, to one that with the collectivization of the farmland, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. That country completely destroyed its its economic and social capital and its family That was in the 1960s. The next one was as I was getting ready to come to the States for college, a, a name you probably heard, Idi Amin, took over Uganda. With a, a particular hostility, not just to tribes that weren't his own, but particularly to the church and was responsible for the mass murder of numerous followers of Christ. Uh, the, the church in that point in Uganda, the, the evangelical, um, really strong, faithful church was the evangelical Anglican church, and they paid a terrible price. Um, that country has never recovered. A country that was, was, uh, it was known, known as the Pearl of Africa, it fed the entire region, and even though it's 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 recovered from the genocide, it's recovered from the tyranny. Uh, two generations on, the people still haven't recovered. You still there's an uneasiness there that persisted. The country of Rwanda, again another beautiful country, where the Hutu tribe. Uh, committed genocide on the Tutsis. And you, you saw a country that just tore itself apart. Uh, a greater genocide rate than Hitler achieved with all the technology of, of Germany. We had people there at that time led the evacuation of the U.S. Uh, consulate person in that country. I'd more about that if we had to. But it was funny. Five years training school right on the border between Rwanda and Congo. And I was going back to visit the school, and we're in a leadership transition that, by God's grace, has gone very well. And um, I was there on the 25th anniversary of the genocide and watching the school kids uh, making pilgrimage to the sites of, of the mass murders to help them understand what went on and try to keep it from happening again. Going and seeing the piles of skulls and bones to, from the genocide during Rwanda. And, you know, having watched those societies come apart, stable societies, high trust societies, societies with an influence of the Word of God, I never expected to see that in America. But as I've gone through the events of the past two years, we, we see that the wheels are coming off on our society. And the same language being used for Christians is the same language that was being used of Christians in some of those countries. Uh, and 
when we consider that, I've had numerous people in the last few years ask me, Jim, Pastor, are, are we in the last days? And I've always said, I don't know. I don't know if we're in the last days. But what I do know that the prerequisites for the end times that scripture is very clear have to be there are in place. The first of those, I believe, is globalism. That same rebellion against God that we saw happen at Babel, when God confused the languages, and by the way, divided us into tribes and nations, ethnicities, which persist until eternity begins. God deals with nations. Multiculturalism is not a biblical principle outside of the walls of the Church of Jesus Christ. Because until we agree to all be submissive to God's culture, there's no way we can overcome <laughs> the hostilities of separate cultures apart from that, separate religions, separate worldviews. And we certainly had a front row seat on that in Kenya. And our church there in Langalani is four animist tribes that come from worshiping other gods with different languages and a large Muslim Somali community that now call each other brother and sister. Amen. And within the walls of the church, you have multiculturalism and the various things that all the different cultures bring to the table are a positive thing, not the negative thing that we see tearing the world apart and tearing our own country apart. So we see globalism, that, that, that piece is in place. We have a, a group of global tyrants that believe they are God, having accumulated a large share of the world's wealth and its attendant power, they want to replace God. We see that in, in place. The, the second thing we see required for the end times is that most of the global church will be an apostate church. Christ said many will fall away. Most people stumble in faith. Will I find faith on here when I come back? We certainly see that. Our faithful churches aren't churches of large numbers. People have turn their back on the gospel. The third thing we see, the final piece we see if we are indeed heading into the end times, the, the pieces that have to be there, is, is a hostility towards God's chosen people, the Jews, and God's adopted people, the church. And we, we see all of those things. And, and then to add to those three things, we see the technology of our day making it possible or a global elite or a global individual can control the lives of every people. The big push now is a worldwide digital ID. In our own community of Langalani, there we're at the ends of the earth, literally the last place in the world to be put on the map in 1880, 1888. Uh, in that place, talking to the men there, oh yeah, the government brought up a team and we were all vaccinated with the Johnston and Johnston. So you, you see that the pieces are, are in place. I, I think all the pieces are there. What I do know is if we are nearing the end times, which the Word of God calls the day of the Lord, we can be certain that God has given us everything we need to, Amen. to, to, to go into that time. And I can remember as a young person in America where the church, the American church, was preoccupied with prophecy of the end times. Some of you 
my age remember those days. I, I don't remember there being much application for it to that applied to us yeah. <laughs> here and now, but it was more like, this is cool science fiction, let's make a movie about it. And I, I remember those days. And I think the pendulum is swung the other way now, where we don't discuss prophecy much. We don't look at the, at the book of Revelation much. And if prophecy permeates the Bible, God has always told his people, look, while you're living here, don't and I've given you all these good things to enjoy. I'm, I'm a good creator. I'm a good heavenly father. But don't get distracted from the things as you've already said that we can't see, and, and the things that C.S. Lewis says. Those are that's the real world. This is these are the shadow things. We now see this darkly. We 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 don't understand being fallen people in a fallen creation. What God intended for us and what He's prepared for us. To those of us that he's brought back to himself through through Christ. So this morning I'd like us to consider the beginning of the book of Revelation. And again, I this is a long introduction, and I'm sorry for that. If we go to the book of Revelation, the first three chapters. It's revealed the Patmos, where he's been exiled. John is first given in those first three chapters messages to seven churches that existed in what is modern-day Turkey. And these messages are given again. It, it, we 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 blow through the Word of God, and we sometimes don't get the context of what's happening. John knows these churches. These churches have been established as, as far as we know during the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. Is, is the, 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 the believers have gone out into that, what is modern day Turkey, and, and planted these seven churches. And John is writing 30 years later. These are churches founded by intimates of the, of, of, of the apostles and of their disciples. And in 30 years, we see only two churches that have been faithful. There's some that are a mixed bag, and there's one that's the, the, the word of God says, Christ says, you're dead. 30 years on. And we, I think we can read through here, and, and, and we can recognize churches like this. We see parts of this in each of us, I'm afraid. But, but Christ is warning us and commending us and reminding us we're the bride of Christ. These aren't just messages to churches that don't exist anymore. The gospel's moved on. Those societies rejected the gospel. We have a living faith that moves on. It, it doesn't, it's not like Islam, it's always going to be in Mecca and Medina. It doesn't move on. It's a death faith. People reject the gospel. And, things like and, and you can go to those, you can go to Turkey and have a tour of those seven cities, the Roman Empire. Probably the main archaeological remains you're going to find in each of those cities are the churches that were built there, where people worship, and now they're heaps of ruin. So we, we know those churches. We have Ephesus, the, the loveless church, Smyrna, the suffering church. Again, no negatives. Christ said, you're going to have to suffer for a season. Pergamum, the worldly church. Thyatira, the tolerant church taught by that woman Jezebel, Sardis, the dead church, Philadelphia, the other good church, the faithful church, Laodicea, perhaps most like the church overall in America, the lukewarm church, 
it is hot or cold. And so we see those are the first three chapters. Then we see in chapter four, John is invited by Jesus to come up to heaven, God's throne. And John gains a different perspective on world events as he's confronted with the glory and majesty and power and holiness of God. This is something that as we go into times in America that none of us have ever experienced before, we need to remember that God is still on the throne. Amen. Regardless of the rebellion we see in the society around us, the disobedience we see in the so-called Church of Christ, that we need to always keep that heavenly perspective. God is on his throne. As you said, he, nothing is surprising to him. I, I love that. There's not an atom in the universe that's rogue. It's What are you reading? In Revelation chapter 5, John sees a scroll in God's right hand. John recognizes this scroll contains information of supreme importance. Sealed with seven seals. The scroll can't be read till the, the seal is opened. It's only after all seven seals are broken that the scroll can be opened and John can find out what's in it. And the scroll is one which only the Lamb the Lion of the tribe of Judah can open. And it contains the record of God's judgment on Satan and on an unrepentant, rebellious world that hates God and hates God's people. And that scroll contains the seven trumpet and bowl judgments that the rest of the book of Revelation explains God's great tribulation, his, his pouring out of his wrath on the earth. Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah 2, verse 12, verse 17, and verse 21. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. When he rises to terrify the rebellion, to stop it. The second global rebellion is not going to be confusion of languages. God is going to deal with that by terrifying them, by the final wrath of God poured out. Just as just when the, the ruling elite of the earth thinks we've killed all the people of God, now we can attain that final goal of our master Satan, I will be God. And God says, nope, I alone will be exalted on that day. In Revelation 6, I'd like to look at the first six verses in a minute, but at the end of that chapter, in verse 12 to 17, when Jesus opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath 
God the Father and God the Son has come, and who can stand? We'll read in the middle part there when Jesus opens the sixth seal, we're told the wrath of the Lord, uh, the wrath of the Lamb is about to begin. So it's almost here. And Jesus opens the seventh seal, and we see God pours out his wrath on the world. And regardless of where, where and when you think the rapture will take place. You know, I've, I've always been hopeful that we'll avoid the first half of the tribulation as well as the latter part of the tribulation. I'm not sure. I suspect we may face the beginning. What I am sure of is when that seventh seal is open and God pours out his wrath on the earth, we will already be in heaven in Christ because we are not destined for God's wrath. We never promised to be spared from man's wrath, and that's obvious around us, but we are promised to be spared from the wrath of God. There's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Now God, uh, Christ took all of God's wrath that we deserved on himself so that we wouldn't have to. So we know we're, we're gone by then. That, that's a given. This will not experience God's wrath, so we're rescued before that seventh seal. But this morning, I want us to look briefly at the first three seals. Because again, I think as we, as we become uneasy about the situation around us, we don't need to do. We turn to the Word of God. The Word of God gives us everything we need, everything we need to confront whatever times we are in history. And so, if we look at the first six verses, Revelation 6, we read this. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out, conquering and to conquer. When he opened this bed, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. <coughs> what, is he, what is he talking about here, these, these, these horses? Well, the, the first one, verse 1 and 2, um, I think we have to look at some other passages where Christ is teaching the disciples. Because that, that first horse, when he says, I beheld a white horse, its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. What, what exactly is happening here? Well, if we look at Matthew 24, verse 3 to 8, Jesus gives us the same exact three, per, three, three precursors we see in that text this morning. And he, he defines the first one more than John does here in Revelation. We read that Jesus, when he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age 
And see that no one leads you astray. So what's the first sign? Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Okay, and then he goes on and says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, that's the same words as the red horse. So if that's the red horse, what's the white horse? It's to me like it's the false Christ. It's the religious persecution. It goes on, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. That, that's exactly the words he used for the black horse. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Luke 21, 8 to 11 describes the exact same sequence. Mark 13 describes exactly the same sequence. Now, both of those passages go on and say, and they'll persecute you in the synagogues. Oh, wow. Luke says, Mark says, you'll be persecuted and drugged before councils and synagogues. Those aren't the secular. Those aren't the secular authorities. Those are the religious authorities of the, of, of the religion that purports to be the religion of God. So when we look at that, that first sign, Again, verse 1 and 2, a white horse, a bow, a crown, conquering it to conquer. Don't ever under, underestimate the hatred of false religion and false religious leaders to the truth of God's word, to those men who remain faithful to God's word, to those believers who refuse to compromise their faith. And so I think we should be surprised as we approach the end that our churches do what? They shrink. What's, what's another sign of the time? As in the days of Noah. How many people survived the flood? Eight people. So again, we can be discouraged. Why, why, are, why, why are our churches growing? Well, we, we need to say, is it our fault? Are we being faithful? Are we... The wagon. Are we forgetting that you know, those bad people have sexuals and those transgenders and those godless politicians? Is the gospel? While we were enemies and sinners, Christ died for us. We, we don't we don't ever shrink back. We we get out there, we we, we stay in the fight. But understand that it's not even the unbelievers that are a problem. We have churches now that are holding drag shows with their people. We have churches that were ordaining gay leaders that are performing homosexual marriages in the church. And we have a governor of California using a Bible verse of loving your neighbor to promote abortion. Okay? The true faith is always going to be under attack, and it looks like the first attack we should always expect is from those close to us, those in the church. And if you, you look at these churches that Christ sends the messages to in the first three chapters of Revelation, they were good churches. And yet by John's day, they were corrupt churches, persecuting believers, not 
not discipling believers. So when we see the church shrinking, we see us being disciplined out of churches because of our uncompromising commitment to what God says, we should say, oh, I'm not surprised. God warned me. We go on into the next horse, the red horse, verse three and four. These aren't these aren't hard to figure out at all. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, "Come!" And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the Slay one another, and he was given. And that's saying something. Still remember living to the death, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 million people. Two million people here on conservative estimates. China and Russia and Cambodia and all these other wonderful socialist experiments. Um, you know, that's that's a great slaughter. And yet God says, you're going to see a lot worse. And it, again, I, I, I said already in Africa, I was in Rwanda, Congo, right after the genocide two weeks later. Unspeakable. Just to see that and, and to realize that God warns us it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse. So we, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, if you're following the news, not, not the mainstream media, but the yeah. other news, <laughs> um, the same American scientist came out last week who helped China develop COVID-19 and funded the development of a new COVID strain in Boston lab. It has an 80% mortality rate. And NIH is saying, well, we, we, we don't know that we were funding that. Yeah, well, we were, but we didn't know really what the parameters were. That's what we're saying. COVID's not a pandemic. We've known that since the beginning, since, since the cruise ships were quarantined in harbor with 3,500 people with all the comorbidities and seven people out of 3,500 died. Uh, but it's coming. The technology is there. These, these weapons of war, biological, chemical, nuclear, that have never been utilized before. Is this what God is talking about? Well, this is what happens. We're not surprised. We're now talking about our, our leadership is toying with the idea of a thermonuclear war with, with Russia, the defense of Ukraine. Um, that that would meet the prerequisites for the red horse. Uh, slaughter like the world has never seen. Verse 5 and 6, it gets better. <laughs> when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius. Uh, enough ration of wheat for one person for a day's wages. Working a full day, you can afford 
keep yourself alive. Or what was the other thing? Three quarts of barley per denarius. That's enough roughage to fill the bellies of three people for a day's pay. And then what? Carefully preserve the oil that you're going to need to cook with and the wine that you're going to need to purify water with if your well is polluted, if the city water is polluted, and what to treat wounds with. Pretty, pretty graphic here, but the babble globalists of our own day now are openly speaking about reducing the world's population by 90%. And with thermonuclear war, if it's worldwide, that'll give a nuclear no crop to be growing for a couple of years. Unless you have a very deep pantry with lots of canning jars full, it's hard to survive for two years. And then now with the with our attack on fossil fuel, which is where we get all our fertilizer from, and already we're, we're probably going to avoid the worst of it in America because we have so much farmland and so many resources. But a lot of Africans are going to starve in the next two years. A lot of mining. And we see that if, if we continue down this, this path, people in rebellion against God don't just hate God. They hate God's image bearers. And when they persuade people to join in their rebellion against God, it, it's really a suicide path. It's always been that way. God's word doesn't keep us from enjoying life. It tells us how to enjoy life. It gives us the tools so that we have we, we, to some extent, reverse the worst of the effects of the fall. And we know what it's like to have the blessing of a marriage, faithful, monogamous marriage. We know the blessing of, of children that are raised in the, the discipline and admonition of the Lord. We know what a blessing it is to live in a society where we love our neighbors. We don't figure out how to kill our neighbor and take their stuff like most of the world is. And so we see, we, we see in our day, the the actions of these people that are in open rebellion against God really are threatening the world with terrible things. And again, as we end, I don't know if we're facing the beginning of the end. I know God's merciful and gracious, and we can pray for America to repent like Nineveh did. And God said, okay, I'll hold off this judgment for 40 years. Get to the prophet, the prophet Nahum, we find out that but God gave another generation a good life because of their repentance. If America and the world have, like Sodom, passed the point of no return, as John MacArthur says, I believe God's withdrawn his hand from America, well, then these are the three signs of the beginning of the end. Why does God give us these signs? Well, he wants to purify and prepare his church. That, that's the whole purpose. Jude speaks of these last days. He says in Jude 22, were to save others, snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples.